work. Most of us spend over half our lives at work. Whatever it is you fill the nine to five with, planting crops, building cars, taking care of patients, teaching students, or running a business, work is where most of life happens. For some, work is a drain. They dread Monday mornings, forcing themselves to struggle through because they need the paycheck, while many times feeling trapped and beaten down by their job. Some people love their work. They're good at what they do. It energizes them. It's a place of security, a place to chase dreams, desires, and success. At work, they find fulfillment. We often forget to connect our faith to our work. We don't consider the reasons God may have us at our job. We don't think about the purpose and meaning we could bring to our work. We simply focus on how it makes us feel. But what if we saw our work as an opportunity to worship? As Christians, we are called to serve Christ with our lives. For a few, that means working as a pastor, a youth minister, or a missionary. Others serve the church by teaching children or singing in the choir. But when Sunday is over, most of us return to our jobs outside the church. For us, our mission is in the marketplace. We may not be the kind of missionary who moves to the far regions of Africa, but around the conference table, around the water cooler, around the cubicle, we have an opportunity to worship the God who created us. He gave us skill. He gave us passion. He gave us work. When we do our jobs with excellence and integrity and diligence, it's an act of worship. We are displaying God's craftsmanship to the non-believing world around us. We are earning the right to be heard. We don't see a divide between Sunday and Monday, between the sacred and the secular. We've been invited into parts of the world that a pastor or a traditional missionary will never see. We have conversations with people who would never set foot in a church. Whether we love or dread our work, we choose to turn the focus away from ourselves and toward the mission God has for us. Church is not the only place we worship, and Sundays are not the only days in our calendars that have meaning. Every day on Mission for God brings us great joy. Like the heroes before us, we can be modern-day Noahs and Josephs and Peters who are called with a purpose. God has designed us. He created us to work and to worship. For us, work is worship. Come on, isn't that good? I drew that all week. Come on. Well, maybe I didn't draw it, but come on. That was, that's, a, that's kind of intense. Now, here's what I want you to do right now for me as we finish out this series today. I want you to think about all the many jobs that you had in your life. All the many jobs. You got it? Some of you have been alive a long time, so that's a lot of jobs, right? All the many jobs. Now I want you to think also, in light with that, all the many bosses that you had in your lifetime. All the many people you had to answer to and you had to work under. Come on, good and bad or indifferent, right? Now, as I thought about that and did that own exercise for my life, I shared with you several weeks ago, my first job was to work at Brahms Burger and Ice Cream Place, right? And I remember working there as a young teenage kid. Uh, and, and in that restaurant, Jackie was the manager of that store, that particular restaurant. I remember working underneath her leadership, the way that she led our team, led our staff. And then after that, that next summer, I, I mowed grass. I mowed lawns with my head basketball coach. Not only was he my basketball coach, he was also my boss. And so I would have to go out there, and I was the guy slumping things around and mowing. And I remember working underneath him that one summer. And then my last summer in high school, I worked at a place called Curtis Mathis TV Center. And it was rent to own TV and TV units. 
And I was the guy that would deliver the TV, set it all up, explain it to you, and then go over this long, impossible, godless contract of why you would never want to rent to own a TV, right? And I remember that job because Ed Wisdom was our boss, and, and he was always kind of putting pranks and jokes and doing things to us. And, and I remember working underneath him that one year of my life. And then in college, I came back, and we had like six rec centers all across Irving, and I remember getting a job to work at this one rec center, Center Park Rec Center, and I was leading the day camp there. Every week we'd get a new group of kids, and Jane Clanton was the leader, the supervisor of that rec center. And I remember the way that she spoke to our team, the way that she gave us resources and encouraged us, and the way that she led us all summer as a boss. And then after that, I graduated from college, and I got a teaching degree. I remember my first teaching job. I remember it working at Paul Keyes. Our principal was Mr. Vocal, and I remember his demeanor, the way that he spoke to our teachers, the way that he engaged with parents at PTA meetings, the way that he engaged even kids in the classroom. And I remember him coming in and observing me as I was teaching, and I remember that feeling of observation and just the feedback that I got and having him as a boss. And then I've really only had the blessing of serving two churches. I served a church in Texas for about nine and a half years, served underneath one pastor there, Ken Branham. And then here, when I arrived, Dee Witten was the pastor here, an amazing man of God, served for about 16 years here, and I got to step under his leadership here. And so through all my careers, my short careers that I've had, I can tell you stories about things that I've learned, ways that I've grown, good leaders, good bosses I was under, as well as maybe not so good leaders and bosses. And probably you could do the exact same thing. And so today, as we kind of finish up this conversation, I wanted to just go there because I think there is a difference when we begin to see the kind of people that we have been placed under to learn from and to grow through. So again, let me just say this. Welcome to Mount Ararat today. I am glad that you're here, especially on a holiday weekend, that you're physically here at Garrisonville, that you're over at our courthouse or even maybe watching it online. Because I know a lot of people are traveling, and I'm glad that you've included us into your weekend to worship the Lord together with us. But we've been in a series, if you're a guest with us here today, titled, Monday is Coming. And even that phrase speaks loudly. And I called it that because I knew that would make you think, that would make you feel something in your heart when you hear Monday is coming. Now, look at this. How many of you have a day off tomorrow from work? Good. So when I say today, Monday's coming, what do you say? Yeah, bring on Monday, right? Because tomorrow you don't have to commute. You get to wake up late if your kids let you. And then you probably get the what? The barbecue ready? You got Monday, right? But for most of us, when we hear Monday is coming, we start thinking about what? Work. And this theme this whole month has been is taking the topic of faith, the topic of work, and seeing how they come together and to work together And I believe they do come together, and that's what the Bible keeps showing us. And I believe this, that what happens here on Sunday ought to make a difference on Monday. It ought to have a difference in our work week. And so here's what I want us to kind of think about. Let me give you the two words so we can at least kind of work together, especially if you're new to this series, this conversation. Let's talk first about the word of faith. Faith. Now, the most basic definition I could give you about the word of faith, it's it's our 
personal relationship with Jesus. You see, it's by faith in Jesus that we begin a relationship with God. It's in that relationship that we come alive in who we are. Now, that's the faith part. What's the work part? Let me give you a good working definition of work. And I like this definition. I heard it this week. It says this. It says it's all meaningful, and I like that we add this word, moral. Because, you know, we want to make sure that what we do is not outside the boundaries of God's direction or provision. And so it's all meaningful or moral activity apart from leisure and rest. So the activity could be a paid job or an unpaid job, but it's work. It could be a labor job or it could be a leadership job, but it's work. Or it could be local in nature or global in nature. You see, work is big. I would say it this way. If you're a child or a teenager... Guess what your work is? School. And that's work right now for you. It's meaningful. Well, maybe not, you don't see it as that, but it is. It's meaningful, and and we got to catch up to what this definition is all about. But see, here's the temptation, and this is what I think a lot of us do, is that we take our faith life, we take our church life, and we keep it all packaged up on Sunday. And we keep it in a Sunday-only lane. And then outside of that lane, we've got all the other stuff. We got our work, right? And it's that big lane of Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday. And it's like that has a lane and that has a lane and the two lanes never intersect. At least we think not, but they actually do. Matter of fact, when we see them as separate lanes that never cross, we're actually robbing ourselves of the power of what God could actually do in us and through us by not putting them together. You see, we limit God when we confine the spiritual things to only church and only what happens here on Sunday. So let me give you two big reasons why faith and work conversation needs to happen and needs to continue for us. Here's here's one way. In the Bible, in the New Testament, we get the story of Jesus's life. We call it the good news or the gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John are books that write about Jesus on earth. Y'all know this, right? Well, then right after the Gospels, we get this book called Acts. Now, the book of Acts is the story of the church. And we find out what happens after Jesus dies on a cross and raises again. What does the church do next? And we get this story of the book of Acts. Did you know that in the book of Acts, there are 40 miracles recorded in the book of Acts? 40. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. How many of those miracles happen at church? Only one of the 40 miracles happen in the place of church. So that means the other 39 miracles happen outside the walls of the church, out in everybody's everyday life, and out in people's work. And so there's something to be said for how God wants to move. I love Sundays. Don't get me wrong. I'm asking God to show up and bring miracles here. But I'm telling you, more miracles are going to happen out there than they're ever to happen in here. And so we've got to get insight and eyesight into what God is up to. Now, let me give you a second reason. Anybody ever heard of Billy Graham? Billy Graham, an amazing man of God, literally has preached to millions and millions of people. And we would call him probably one of the greatest evangelists in American history. But you know what Billy Graham said? Billy Graham said this. He's often inviting people into this great awakening. He says, I think the next great awakening is going to happen where? At where? At work. Who believes that? 
Who's gonna join Billy Graham and believe that? And so just think with me for a minute here and who God gathers here to become part of the Mount Eret family. Whether you have an hourly job or a salary job, you've got a job and you've got work to do, right? I think about the person sitting here that has a government job, that's work. The person here that has the military job, that's work. I think about the person that's in the education field and that's your job of work. Or the medical field, that's your job of work. Or maybe you're in the business sector. Or maybe you're in the nonprofit sector and that is your work. Maybe you're a mom to Charlotte Brave and that is work, right? And whatever the work is, this work, this work is where God can reveal meaning and purpose to us. But oftentimes we don't see the value of bringing faith and work together. And if we did, can you imagine, come on, if we did, if all of us began to see God coming into our workplaces and coming through us to our coworkers and to our bosses, do you know what could happen in Northern Virginia if we began to see life and work coming together like that? A great awakening is possible. I believe that. That's why I think this is a significant conversation, not just to begin and end today, but to continue as we continue to talk about discipleship as we keep moving forward. This is an important moment for us together. Come on. How many of you, how many of you have come at least one of these last few weeks and feel like you've learned something? Now, come on. I got guests here today, so don't embarrass your pastor. Have you learned a little something? Who's learned something, right? And maybe some of you, it's just underlining it and maybe reminding you, oh yeah, I remember that. And it's just refreshing it for you. Or maybe you heard something brand new that you're like, I never thought about it like that. That's a game changer if I put that into practice like that. Think with me for a minute. Four weeks ago, we talked about getting the right perspective, right? And we started in the book of Genesis and I gave you the story of God with four words, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And we had said, we gotta ask the question, where does work begin? Does it begin here as a curse or does it begin here as God has planned? Well, it begins with God's plan. We know this, that God, before the beginning of time, knew that he was going to give us a responsibility to work. This is the plan, but this is the problem. The problem is you and I are just like Adam and Eve. You and I left our own. We're going to choose our own ways most of the time, and we're going to choose the consequences that come with that. And so God begins to bring the, the solution. Jesus, God's very son, lives a life on earth. He works here on earth. And not only in a human life did he work, he also worked in his death on the cross. And he rose again to give us redemption. Redemption means that which is broken is now being put back together and restoration is a consequence of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. So he gives us the solution. So he says this, when you begin to see work as part of the creation story and you begin to see work as part of the inspiration story, it, it, it's significant in changing the way we live here on earth. And perspective is everything. Week two, we talked about Adam and what he needed to care for his own soul. That God gave him what in the garden? That God gave him restriction in the garden, that God gave him responsibility in the garden, that God gave him re relationship in the garden, that God gave him rest. 
And when he lives out these words in his own life, he cares best for his soul. And God says, that's good for your soul too and my soul too. And then we got this triangle that says that when we find our truest identity in Christ and we begin to put into practice the very words of God and integrate them into our own lives, it's then we'll begin to have our greatest impact and influence in our world. This idea of faith and work, working together to grow us and to lead us into this world. And then week three was Mother's Day. We talked about Esther. And Esther's life is all about influence, that we're pointing somewhere. Is your life pointing people to Christ? And Esther saw that influence was timely, but also saw that that influence has an expiration date. And while the door is open, you and I have the opportunity to influence and point people to Christ, but there'll come a day that door will shut and that day will be over. And we talked about this theme. And then there was last Sunday. Come on. Can, can anybody join me and say, I love when Pastor Andrew preaches. Pastor Andrew is preaching last Sunday. I'm t- I need to take more weeks off so I can just listen to him preach. He is an amazing man of God. And I gave him a hard subject last week to talk about how work can become an idol in your life. And he talked about how work and the things of this earth and money can become idols. And the antidote is to give ourselves to the right things so that God continues to be first. And I thought, what a powerful message in this idea of faith and work. Because sometimes we make work to become too important in our lives to trying to tell us who we are when God wants to be the one to tell us who we are. And then there's today. Memorial Day weekend. Aren't you glad you came today? Hey, listen, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. And I'm going to quit. I'm going to finish this series by sharing one more principle about faith and work that I believe can be a difference maker in how I live and how you live in your work. If we'll just put this one principle into practice, this could be a game changer for our lives at work. Now, as you're turning there, Paul's going to reveal this important principle, and he's going to tell us that whether you view your life and your work as miserable, or you actually enjoy your work and it's giving you great pleasure, Paul shares that everything we do at work should be done as if we're serving the Lord. And so let's just listen in. Now, I'm going to tell you this. There's some provocative words in this, in this reading That's going to push all of us hard, and I just hope that we can hang on long enough to let the application speak for itself. But let's just begin here. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Here it goes. Slaves, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good that they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters... Treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Slaves, masters, 
Is that not crazy language to be, bring out of the scripture? And there's everything about us as modern readers reading the Bible to hear the Bible's depiction of the evil of slavery and to kind of see this. Now, let me give you this quote. Tim Keller, a great Bible uh, author and studier of the word, he says this. He says, slavery in the Greco-Roman world was not the same kind of slavery as the New World institution that developed in the wake of the African slave trade. Slavery in Paul's time was not race-based, and it seldom was lifelong. It was more like what we would call an indentured servant. Listen to this passage in a new way, though. Think about this. If the slave owners were told that they must not manage their workers with manipulation and fear, how much should this be true of employers today? Think about that kind of language. Or what about this? As if slaves are told to possibly find satisfaction and meaning in their work, regardless of the work conditions, the paycheck, or even their boss. It says that they can still find satisfaction even as true. Could that not be true for employees today? And so what if we began to look at this because Paul tells masters and slaves that they needed to change their audience. That's what he says, change your audience, change who you're working for and it'll help you as you go to work. And so if slaves are finding it possible in this moment, if masters can change in this moment, I'm wondering if we can begin to ask ourselves the same question, who's watching you, who's watching me when we work? This idea of what are we working for and this idea of whose opinion matters in the end anyway. Could this be true for employees? Could this be true for employers? So here's what I want us to think about. Because I think when we begin to put this principle into practice, this changes our lives from going, I've just got to make a living to trying to make a life. And I think that's different. This idea of make a living versus make a life. I think it's also different when we go every week going, I gotta do this, I gotta do that, I gotta do this, I gotta do that, I gotta do that, do it, do, 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 do. Where we feel like human doings versus human beings. And so today, the principle I wanna share with you is that if we know who our audience is, our audience determines our approach. You ought to write that down. Our audience determines our approach. And as we look here today, he's as if telling us that we can be free to enjoy our work, that we no longer have to be held captive by a bad boss or a low paycheck, that you and I can work with a greater purpose, but it comes back to who's our audience, it comes back to who is our approach. So I thought about this, what if we took that same passage and we substituted the word slave and master with employee and employers. And I wonder if that could speak to somebody today. Because maybe you're here today and you're an employer. You've got people that work underneath you. That you are hiring people and you're trying to find the right people and you're trying to get them in the right lane. The right, right bus, the right seat, right? You're always working that angle. And today God wants to say something to you as an employer. But maybe you're here today and you're an employee and you work underneath somebody's leadership, what would God wanna say to you? So let's just go back to the word of God real quick. Look at this, look at this. Employees, is that you today? Employees, obey your earthly employer with respect and fear 
and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as an employee of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good they do, whether they are employee or free. And employers treat your employees in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their employer is also your employer in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Come on, did that say something new to you that maybe you've never heard before? Today I wanna give you real quickly two ways to evaluate your motive at work. Number one is this, when your audience is people, your approach is transactional. When your audience is people, your approach is transactional. Y'all know what that word means, right? I'm gonna do for you, but you're gonna do for me and we're gonna just exchange here. We're gonna do this together. And, and I first looked at this and said, well, isn't people good? I wanna live for others, right? I wanna put others first. But this is not what we're saying here. We're saying you're making your audience or performance to people and then you start treating people like transactions. People are only good for me in what they can give to me. Does that make sense yet? And so many of us are caught up in pleasing people. Is that you today? You see, people pleasing is an easy trap to fall into because what it appears like on the surface is it's good to gain favor with your boss. It's good to create a, a great reward for return for your action. However, people-pleasing is often manipulative. Oftentimes, the only reason we're doing something for someone is to get something in return, and we'll do that sometimes even when we won't do the right thing. You see, this way of living can be very, very selfish, very, very self-driven. How often our behavior becomes conditional. It becomes conditional to the person that we work for, it becomes conditional to the paycheck we receive. And so here's what happens. Here's what happens. Let's just say our, our boss is not somebody we enjoy working for, then we condition our behavior towards that. Or let's say it, we're working right now, and we're not real satisfied with our paycheck, then we become conditioned to that. And so then it gives us permission, if this is the way we live, this is the way we think, that I really don't have to obey my boss. I really don't have to disrespect, I have to respect my boss. I don't have to do what he says, she says. Why? Because I don't like her. I don't like him as a boss. I don't like my paycheck. And so now I can pick and choose how I'm going to behave in my workplace. And what happens is we disrespect, we disobey, we might even get a little bit of passive aggressive, come on, as a way to almost punish the person or the persons I'm working for. Why? Because I don't like my job. You see, when your audience is people, then you'll always approach it as a transaction. This is selfish behavior. Now, I learned this lesson early in my very first job. 
My very first job is I was working at Brahms. Come on, I learned how to cook a burger on a grill. I learned how to fry French fries. I learned how to scoop up and make all kinds of ice cream stuff. But I also learned in my first job that not all employees are good employees. Come on, you learned that lesson yet? All employers aren't good employers. And what I found in that first job, because most of my shifts I worked during the day, is that the manager, Jackie, she spent most of her hours working the day shift with us. And as long as she was there, you know what I realized? Everybody knew their role, everybody knew their job, everybody knew their lane, and everybody did their stuff without very little correction because just her simply being there kept us all on task. But you know what I learned? Every now and then they gave me the night shift. I learned that what happens on the night shift is not the same as what happens on the day shift. We had a part-time manager that worked the night, and I found out real quick on the night that the, the whole team takes a lot more breaks at the night shift. I found out the whole team eats a lot of food free that wasn't supposed to be theirs for free on the night shift. I found out the store gets a little bit dirtier, a little bit messier on the night shift because nobody wants to mop up on the night shift. And what I found, I think Brahms found out because Jackie, the manager, and the district manager one day came and parked out in the parking lot at the night shift, and they sat out there and watched through the glass windows all that was happening at night. It's amazing how people work when they don't think no one is watching, right? They sat out there for the next few hours documenting everything that happened. And that next week, they called a little staff meeting before we opened. And I'm telling you what, lightning bolts fell at that meeting. Woo! The light shined down and they began to call out everything that was going on. Because you know what? When we're performing for the audience of people, We'll do a lot of things. We'll let our guard down when we think that nobody's watching. And yet, isn't that interesting that right here in this passage, Paul says, you got to change your audience. Because when your audience is people, it's nothing more than a transaction. Now, I thought about that. How does this give application to the person in the room that's the employer? Because that's the interesting part here. When you're an employer, it's easy to make it okay to manipulate people to accomplish work. When you're the boss, it's easy to accept mistreatment of your employees. It's easy to threaten. It's easy to demean your staff. It's easy to embarrass. It's easy to speak down and condescend. It's easy to try to control your workers when you need to get them to do what you need to get them to do right now. When you say it, all of a sudden, guess what? You're going to behave in a way where you might get a short-term return but you're gonna lose the long-term peace with this deal. And you and I know bosses like that, don't we? We know people that lead like that, where it's all about them using you for what they can get out of you. And once they're done with you, they're through with you. And that's transactional relationship. But you know, I thought about this, this idea of employee-employer. I think all of us, all of us are playing to some audience at some level, and whether we like to admit it or not, and, and I'm wondering this today, what audience you and I are working for. You see, we all work for an audience. And I wonder who maybe is here today that's trying to perform in a way to please your parents. And this is not just kids in the room either. 
I think about you in the room here today that are maybe trying to live in a way to please your peers at work or try to please the superiors that you're working for. And and while you're trying to do this to strictly live up to your own standards, sometimes pleasing yourself is the hardest job in this work. And so here we are trying to live up and to perform. I love how I get to preach and all of a sudden God preaches back, right? And, 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 you know, I know some of you might not be able to relate to this, but some of you may. How many of you feel like you've never satisfied your mom and dad in their lives and you've never done enough? I don't know, for me, if it meant growing up in a divorced family, it kind of created this tension. But for me, you know, my dad was in my life. I saw him on the weekends, every other weekend, and then he moved out of state. And it was this relationship that got a little more distant once he moved out of state. And in my spirit, I could feel, even now, man, I am 47 years young. And I'm still, at times, longing for my dad to say, son, I'm proud. I'm proud of you, right? Come on. Is anybody with me there? You just want to be recognized. And there's times that I'm so tempted to try to make him the audience of my life. I remember this because I was 14 years old when I became a Christ follower, became a Christian. My dad's not a believer, but I am. And all of a sudden I'm walking with God. And I remembered it because at around 20 years old, I was in college. By the way, my dad was paying for me to go to college. And, and in college at age 20, I heard God as clear as my salvation moment. God says, I'm calling you into ministry. So how do you go tell your parent that's paying for your college, that doesn't even go to church, that now you're gonna change careers and you're gonna be a pastor. Man, I was stressed about having that conversation because I was thinking, what is he gonna think? And so I almost overthought it. And when I finally got to see him on one of my breaks and I told him what I felt like I was supposed to be doing, my, my dad was good. He didn't overreact, but he didn't, he was just kind of steady. He said, oh, that's good. And just by him saying that, I knew it wasn't enough. And so here I am in this role of ministry and wondering, what does my dad think by what I do? Come on, can anybody relate to that? Anybody there? You just feel like, man, I just didn't get it right. I didn't marry the person my parents wanted me to marry. I didn't go get the job parents wanted me to marry. And you find yourself in this audience of trying to please maybe somebody that's impossible to please. And I wonder how many times that we don't realize that our audience will determine our approach. Look at this, turn with me another place in scripture. Turn to Colossians chapter three. Now this is kind of neat. There's a relationship between Ephesians and Colossians and it's because the same person that wrote it, it's Paul. We call these prison epistles. And what that means is Paul was in a Roman prison and he was writing back to these churches to encourage. Now what I wanna show you here today is that when he was in prison, he wrote at the exact same time a letter to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians, and a church at Colossae, Colossians. And in their letters, there's some similar paragraphs that you could almost read verbatim that he said to both churches, even though they're two different locations. What I want to read is the place in Colossians where he talks about this idea of slave and master. And I want you to see some similarities here. Listen to what it says here. Verse 22, it says, hey, employees, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. I love this verse. Whatever you do, 
work at it with all of your heart as if you're working for the Lord and not for a human employer. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. There is no favoritism. God loves the slave, God loves the master, equally the same. There is no favoritism with God. Watch this. Employers, provide for your employees with what is right and fair. Because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Did you hear some of the same language, some of the same words? Let me give you the second thought here today. When your audience is God, your approach is relational. You see that? When God is our number one audience, then you'll approach people relationally. You see, when we make it all about people, trying to please people, it's transactional. But we make it about God, it becomes relational. And what I want to share with you and show with you here is that God's saying something significant that we already know deep within all of us. Do you know if you go out of here today and you Google what's the top factors of, of, of job satisfaction, always on whatever survey you're going to get, right at the top you're going to get this my relationship with my boss, and my relationship with my coworkers. Isn't that interesting? That that has a greater indicator whether I love or hate my job. It's the relationships. A human survey is coming to the exact same conclusion that the Word of God speaks to us right here, that God says it is all about relationships. Start with me, and then it'll continue with, with everybody else in your life. God is showing us, though, that we have to change our audience to get there. It can't just be about pleasing people. We, get a, we gotta be about pleasing the Lord, honoring the Lord. And then he shows us practically of how to live it out. So let me ask you the question today. Are you living for God? Or let me put it in this context. What if this next week you get a new boss and his name is Jesus? If Jesus were your boss at work, would it change your approach at work? <laughs> if Jesus was at work, would it change the way you talked at work? If Jesus was here at your work and he was your boss, would it change the way that you live, the way that you behave, the way that you interact with everybody else at work if Jesus was your boss? Because to me, that's a good indicator. Maybe something needs to change. Now today, I wanna to give you what that change could possibly look like because I think there's a way for us to live. And in these passages, we can see slave master or we could see employees and employers and there's some very specifics that God's given us in both of these parallel passages. Let me give you the, for the employee first. How many of you are an employee? Think about this. Here's what God says to you. Number one on the list, work with respect. That's the word he used in the passage. Now, here's the hard thing. Some of you are already going, oh, pastor, you don't know my boss. You don't know how they are. No, 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 listen, listen. When you're living for the audience of God, who are you respecting? God. If you respect God and at least respect the position that your boss is in, whether you don't respect them yet, you start there, and guess what? Maybe something can change in your environment. But we've got to start 
here as a follower of Christ. We got to respect the Lord first and respect the position that that person is playing in our life, whether we've come to respect them yet or not. God says, I want to see respect. We got to also work with what? Dignity or integrity. Integrity. Now, he says this several times in the scripture at both places. He says that we're supposed to serve with what? A sincere heart. A sincere heart. Sincerity is the idea of focusing. Sincerity is about being a trustworthy person. What I say I'm going to do, I'm going to actually do. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. This idea of integrity is important because there's no division in your character. God says when you work as a believer in your workplace as an employee, work with integrity. If you're not supposed to eat french fries out of the french fry vat, then watch yourself at work. Integrity. Integrity. And then the last one, work, is to be dependable. Come on, is that you? Are you the one at work that the people say, oh yeah, behind your back? Yeah, if you give them a job, man, they're going to see it through. Even if they can't figure it out, they're going to figure a way out and get the right people. You've given it to that person. They're dependable. Do they say that about you? Todd Gaston, well, he is a dependable guy. You, you can trust him. Why? He's got integrity. Yeah. And he also shows a lot of respect to me. Is that your reputation at work as an employee? Come on. Come on, kids in the classroom with your teacher. Is that your reputation at school? See, God's given us a direction of how to live when we see our audience as God, it changes the way we relate because it's about relationships. We will start to see people as people even when we don't get along with those people. We'll see them as people with respect and integrity and dependability. There's another passage in scripture found in Titus. Paul writes to young Titus. He says this to him in chapter 2 verse 9. He says, hey, teach employees to be subject to their employers in everything to try to please them, to not talk back to them, and to not steal for them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. Why? So that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. Is that not powerful? When we live in the right way at work, it's our best witness to lead people to Christ. Now, we've talked to the employees. Let's Let's talk to the employers. Come on, let's look here for a second. Employers, maybe that's you today. Number one on the list, don't manipulate. Don't use threats. Don't use guilt. Don't use shame to try to get action out of people. No, you got to lead them. I'll give you that. You got to lead them, but don't do it in a manipulative way. See them as people, not as a transaction. It's a difference. It's a difference. Number two on the list, build and encourage people. Now, sometimes we get confused because we've got a workplace that has to evaluate, that has to see if what we're doing is working or not, and we got to do performance reviews, and we got to speak truth. Listen, I'm not saying don't speak truth to people, but if you've got to deconstruct bad behavior, turn around and then build them and encourage them in the right path, in the right ways, so that you're a person that builds people up. So one day when they leave that job and they leave that environment, they'll be better because they've been there with you. Does this make sense? It's what the word of God just told us to do. And then number three on the list, care for people. I love this because some of you are in these these kind of environments where you're like, we we don't have a a lovey-dovey environment, Pastor. You don't realize it's not all about I love you and love you. I get that, I get that. Some of you military guys say, oh yeah, that's not my environment. But you know what? You can still care for people without holding their hand and singing Kumbaya, right? 
Show care because you see them as a person and try to take care of maybe the welfare of their days and their time spent with you. There's lots of ways to show care without hugging them and telling them you love them. To me, to be a good employer, you embody the very nature of God being pleased and treating people in a relational way versus a transactional way. Does this speak today? All right, let's do this. Let me have a worship team come back up in both campuses. And, and here's the hardest part of every message. We can talk about the word of God here, the Bible here, and then we have to bring it back here. You see, this word is not good unless you evaluate the word in you. So my question to you today, using the very language we use today, does something need to change in your life? Who is the audience that you're working for right now? Who's your audience? Does your audience need to change? And if that's true, does your approach need to change? What needs to change today so that you can be more effective in the, the life and the faith and the work that God has called you into? You see, to me, when I began to look at this, I realized that work really is a crucible that shines a light on our lives. And it's oftentimes how we live at work, how we behave at work shows a whole lot about who we really are under pressure. And sometimes what gets revealed in the workplace is the very stuff that God's wanting to speak into and change within us. But sometimes we gotta ask the question, are we willing to be changed? Are we willing to grow in a place that maybe is gonna be uncomfortable at first. You know, as I speak this message to you today, I'm never off the hook for evaluation. Y'all get that, right? If I'm gonna preach the word of God to you and tell you to evaluate, I gotta do it first too, so that I can be here truthful with you and have integrity before you to say, I gotta go there too. And I ask the question, what's the audience that I struggle with? Is it about pleasing people in the church? Is it about pleasing my staff? Is it about pleasing my home? Is it about pleasing my, my, my mom and my dad? And I realized, man, all these years later, even saying it out loud again this weekend, there is still a longing to please my father. But God keeps reminding me, Todd, you let me be first then you'll be relational for the people that you need to be in your life. Trust me in this, trust me in this. Now listen, as I thought about this, I thought about an illustration I could show you. So on my phone, I get my emails and I, listen, I'm just gonna say something about my life right now. I don't know about you, I, I, I'm a little OCD with my emails. I, I like to get something satisfied and I like to get removed from my email. So the sooner I can answer a question, I wanna delete, delete, delete. I don't wanna have thousands of emails. Sometimes I ran up on a buddy's phone and I saw he had like 800 messages on his phone. I'm going, ah, it was like making me nervous to look at that. And like 500 unread. I went, you can't do that. You gotta read those, you gotta solve those, you gotta get rid of those. I don't do my email, is anybody, is anybody else crazy like me? Come on, you like me? That's not all of you, I know, I get it. Some of you like thousand emails. I don't like thousand emails. Yet, here's what's funny. In my inbox right now, I got about 50 something emails, but there's one at the lowest one, and I've had it in my inbox since 2013. Is that not crazy? Matter of fact, March 4th, 2013, and I can't get myself to delete this. And you know why? Because this is an email from my dad. You see, I've lived here for 15 years, 
And my dad's been here only about a handful of times to visit us since we've been here. And about two or three times, he extended his trip where he stayed here on Sunday where he could come in this room and worship with us. Again, I'll remind you, my dad's not a Christian and he doesn't worship weekly anywhere, yet he'll come and, and sit here with us if he's ever here on a Sunday. Or after one of those Sundays, he wrote me an email. And here's what he said to me. He said, Todd, he said, I really enjoyed seeing everyone this weekend. He says, your sermon on Sunday was terrific. Seeing your message in person and the reaction from the congregation is, is so much more fulfilling than listening to it or watching it on podcast. <laughs> I didn't even know he did that. I didn't even know he was watching us when he wasn't here. He said, I may have to get a bigger computer screen. He said, on the way home, I was reflecting on how much you have grown over the past 10 to 12 years since I saw your first sermon. You are so completely comfortable and genuine in your delivery and the connection that you have with your audience is solid. He said, I can see why your congregation has grown so rapidly. They're taking away a meaningful message, immersing themselves in the experience of the uplifting and joyous music, the visuals, the message, they're all blended thoroughly and it made an enjoyable morning. You're a great asset to your congregation. I think, I think they know that and I hope that you're getting as much as they are giving, as you're giving to them. Having personal fulfillment in your work, it's a blessing. It appears that you're really enjoying your family life as well as your church life. He said, I could not possibly be more proud of you and the man that you have become. Love, Dad. Is that not... The reason I don't delete that is you don't get that very often. And it's words that I've longed for that I think I forget about until I read it again of how my dad thinks about me. It's just almost as if God's saying this, listen, listen, Todd, keep me first. Let me be your number one audience and then just treat people relationally and you let me work out all the in-between. And God is faithful. God is faithful, is he not? Listen, I said that in these hours before and I had a father come up to me and he said, he said, Todd, he's gruff to you. He goes, Todd, I, I don't like when you get me to that point where I wanna cry. He said, but I was thinking more about me as a father and all the things that I failed as a father. And you and I looked at him and I said to him, I said, you know what? You're still alive. Your kids are still alive. Don't miss the moment, parent, that you have to speak into your kids' lives. You may think your kids aren't listening. Trust me, they're listening. They're listening. And the words of a mother, the words of a father, it'll, it'll lead a kid to keep moving in the right direction. I promise you that. I promise you that. But we gotta have the audience of one. This week, I got another text message. And again, God's timing's perfect. I think for me, in life and in ministry, sometimes because I grew up in a single parent family, I look to my bosses and maybe elevate and maybe in an unhealthy place expecting more from them. I've only served under two pastors, two great men, Ken Branham and Dee Witten. I love this hour because Dee Witten's right here in the middle right now today. And I didn't know he was gonna be here today. And, 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 
And these two men, their words to me are more than a boss. They're almost the voice of a father. This week I got a text. I gotta share this with you. Timing of God. Ken Branham, my former pastor, he texted me this, he said, Todd, I just wanted to take a minute to tell you I've tendered my resignation effective September 10th. It marks 45th anniversary of my pastoral ministry. And I wanted, I wanted to reach out to you to say thank you for sharing life and ministry with me. You helped make my journey one of joy. I deeply appreciate your contribution to my life and ministry. I'm proud of who you are and what you're doing for the Lord and His kingdom. I love you, Todd. Know that my love and my continued prayers for you, for your family and for your ministry, take care. Isn't that rich when we begin to hear what God is doing in our lives? Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes we're living so close to it that we're pleasing everybody else and we're creating misery for others and ourselves instead of just saying, God, I'm gonna make you my audience. And in you, I'm gonna begin to live in a way that's gonna make a difference with the people around me. Listen, I don't know who I'm speaking to today, but I know this, God is speaking and His voice is a greater voice than mine. And whatever He is revealing to you at this morning, in this moment, if there is an area that needs to change, then don't be afraid of God to change. Listen, I'm with you. I don't always get it perfect in life. I don't always get it perfect in faith. I don't always get it right as a pastor, and I definitely don't always get it right as a father or as a husband. But I know this, in Jesus, every now and then I get it right, because it's in Jesus that it all falls back into place the way it's meant to be. And so right now today, as God is speaking to you, as God is speaking to me, let's just go there together in the Lord. Father God, thank you for being a father that speaks blessing and honor and courage to your children. And today, God, that's what we are, we're your children. And today, God, as we talk about this idea of having our faith and having our work and, and mingling those together. God, we wanna make a difference in this world. We want a great awakening, God, where many people begin to draw into you and to find the life that we have found in Jesus Christ. But God, help us to see that our worship, it can't stop on Sunday. God, it's gonna continue into Monday and beyond. Help people see the true people we are. Far from perfect, but people who are saved. Not trying to be good, but trying to be saved. God, help us to do that this next week. Help us to make you our number one audience and help us to relate in a way that's filled with grace and mercy and love and forgiveness so that we can show the world what you're like. God, I thank you for my earthly father. God, I pray for the day he's gonna finally understand the grace that's found in you. I pray for the day where he's gonna trust you as his savior and Lord, and he's gonna begin worshiping you all days of his life. But God, right now, I pray for that, 
and I pray for him. He just had an earthly birthday. As he's moving my nieces and nephews to Colorado, I pray for that transition. I pray for this new life where he went back from granddad to now being a dad again, that God, you would use these kids in his life to show his great need for you. And God, you would be his Lord and Savior. God, I thank you for great godly men like Ken Branham and Dee Witten and how they continue to speak praise and blessing and courage into my life. This very week, Dee Witten, I met with him and he spoke blessing to me. Thank you, God. God, can I be a blessing like that for the people in my life? Help me to do it, God. Help your church to do it this very week because God, you've gotta be first. And Father, for the person that's here today on Memorial Day weekend, that realizes they're trying to please everybody but you. Maybe they don't have a relationship with you. Could today be that day? Could this be that moment where they finally say yes to you, Jesus? I pray that this could be their moment as we sing, as we live, as we serve you, the one and only God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Come on, stand up both campuses. Worship team, I mean, prayer team's gonna be here at the front. If you wanna give your life to Jesus today, if you want prayer today, that's why we're here. Hey, listen, God bless you if tomorrow you get a day off. Enjoy your day off. Take a moment to pray and reflect on what that day off really represents here for us in this great country called America, the United States of America. I love you, church. God bless you. Next Sunday, we begin a brand new series in the month of June called Leverage. Don't miss, don't miss where this series is going. Let's keep staying alive in our faith. God bless you.